Hey, Mike. Hi, Caleb. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. It's a beautiful Palo Alto day and evening, so quite happy about that. What are you drinking? Uh, apropos of us doing an update episode, I am drinking a drink called an Up to Date. Oh, uh, yeah. Clever. So we got some 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 rye, some sherry, uh, Grand Marnier uh, from the PDT book, I believe. Yeah, PDT book. I'm trying. I'm still trying to find uses for this bottle of sherry that I have that's uh, mm. aging quickly. Um, yes. <laughs> how about you? What are you drinking? I'm drinking a classic Gimlet from the PDT book. Oh, um, the Basil or just plain? Just plain. Uh, had some fresh limes and uh, had to make some fresh simple syrup, but that's super easy. Um, but uh, using a new local Half Moon Bay gin. So that's the, the twist, oh, as it were. Is it is that the name of it? Half Moon Half, Bay? Half Moon Bay Distillery. Yep. Oh, they, I have they do not a tried couple, that. Hu- yeah, they do a couple hundred um, cases a year. So pretty small. I'm intrigued All by that. this. They have one still, so it's it's um pretty small. And they have a Tesla destination charger outside the brewery. Went for oh. the, the the distillery. So went nice. for a tour and get soft and in the... put it on autopilot and drive home. Someday. Not encouraging that. Some someday. Someday. That was aspirational. Yeah. So um what what uh what did we just do, Mike? We, uh, being the two lucky guys that we are, uh, managed to get through the rush hour traffic in the Bay Area recently and uh, went over to the East Bay uh, mm. to uh, to Fremont, the uh, the municipality of Fremont. Yes. And we uh, went on a tour of the Tesla factory, uh, which was absolutely amazing. That was, it was great. Yeah, we had a, a listener friend of the show help us get in there and so we're very very thankful uh for that and um had a great time and uh (laughs) and we're not allowed to say much about it yeah unfortunately when you go in uh you are greeted by some tesla employees in this little lobby area and then they quickly direct you to a, a computer terminal to um enter in the name of who invited you and cross check that you're on the list. And then, uh, you have to sign an NDA, um, which basically says you won't take any photos or video and you won't talk about what you saw on the tour. And so as a result of signing that, uh, which is required to go on the tour, uh, we can't talk about what we saw. Um, yeah, it was, but I, and I, 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 have been patting myself on the back because I've resisted the urge to grab my phone. I'm a bit of a shutter bug. So mm. it was really, really difficult to see all these really cool, yeah. amazing things and not take photos of them. Um, so yeah, yeah, that was, a uh, that was ex- especially challenging. Um, I believe we can still use adjectives to, uh, give our impressions and say that it was amazing. Um, that the, uh, especially as someone who deals in the sort of virtual world of bits and software that seeing actual, uh, real physical world things happening and being built and and at that scale already at like not even the scale that will be with the model three but just with the scale they currently have was totally amazing it was really cool yeah and i would say you know not not talking about our particular experience but if you watch the national geographic documentary on the tesla factory uh and others you'll see obviously they have been using robots for a long time and uh they have big presses and they've talked about those on earnings calls and things so nothing unique to the tour uh but seeing that stuff in person is very different than seeing it on those videos yeah um and the scale that it's that it's operating at yeah the scale of being in that really big room it's it's a massive factory and um 
if any of you have the chance to go or have friends who are owners, <laughs> I would definitely highly recommend it if you have the the ability to go tour it because it is a definitely a, a incredible thing. And it was amazing. I felt like a kid the whole time. I was like whipping my head around. My jaw was open. It was yeah, like, we were I just mean, like pointing at stuff and being like, oh my God, look at that. And did you see that? Did you see that? Did you see that? How is that possible that it's doing that right now? Um, yeah. It was, I mean, I'm a big fan of the, uh, on the food network, there's a show called unwrapped. Uh, I don't know if you, if you've watched this, it's with the, uh, oh yeah. With Ted Summers or no, the, yeah. The guy from Double Dare. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it's, but it's just like going behind the scenes of food production and usually specifically like sweets and, and desserts and stuff. Uh, but just seeing any of that, like mechanical, like the, the assembly line production of, of things is just, I don't know. There's something about it. That's it's, it's almost balletic and, and elegant and it, it's amazing. It's just so cool to, to see it all in action. Yeah, so I would, um, there's not too much more we could say really, but uh, I would definitely <laughs> recommend watching any videos you can about the Tesla factory if you haven't, um, because it's just super cool and fun to geek out about. And uh, yeah, so one other thing that we noticed on the way into the factory. Uh, this is going to be your slow draw story. Slow draw, um, Caleb. Oh man, so. Slow Mike on the I, draw. Yeah, so Mike was driving uh, and we were coming up the industrial drive which is the road uh that's pretty much all tesla related yeah stuff. we were trying to decide which gate to drive into like we were it was like gate four gate three gate two we were go, we were counting down i think it was like between three and two or something yeah and so we see a silver we, we saw a lot of a teslas exiting as we were entering like a lot there were yeah. model x's and s's and you even remarked like wow that's a lot that's a lot of teslas driving by it even was sort for, of, for, for two guys who live in in the bay area it was a lot of teslas like and, yeah. and, you know i see hundreds a day right so so it was kind of overwhelming all those teslas coming out and uh all the spottings that i've really heard about uh for the model 3 have been local like down here in the Palo Alto headquarters area so we were driving in and i wasn't expecting to see anything and then we see a silver car coming and the front fascia looks different than a model s that was and, the thing that jumped out was the silver like nose coming at us yeah and then it was like oh my goodness it like the wheels in my head started turning in sort of slow motion just being like that's a model three and then i said that's a model three <laughs> and then you started looking and then it just like zoomed past us so in your defense did, you were also acting as navigator so your phone was in maps mode and you were like navigating from the passenger seat so i'll, I'll right. cut you some slack there but we got to see it approach us from i guess you know just passing us um at whatever right. yeah, two lane road hour. right yeah so we were, you know, very close by and uh, I tweeted about it and uh, couldn't tell if it had the autopilot sensors. I mean, I didn't get to see the B pillar well enough to see whether or not it was actually a new release candidate one or. No, I, I, all I noticed was the silver nose and then the uh, flat screen in, in the center console. Like that yeah. was, those are the two things that and then there were probably like three or four people in it. That's what yeah, I it was. It was definitely full. Um, there, there were lots of people in it and uh, definitely noticed the the screen as it passed by just the sort of the, the visible prominence of it through the windscreen i think is, it was a lighter color too which really made it stick out like the back of yeah. it was a, was like a tan or a, a white or a gray it was a lighter color yep so so that was really cool wish we had gotten a photo of it and not really sure if it's a brand new one that was made or if it's <laughs> i mean i same. think we painted a mental picture that was almost as good as a photo right here 
Yeah, probably. Um, but <laughs> I didn't see any photos of it after we had seen it, uh, people s- spotting it on the road. So it, they might not have gone for a very long uh, trip. But anyway, no one's going um, over to the East Bay to get the shots. They're all hanging out on Deer Creek. Yeah. And that's apparently a private drive also. So oh. it's not really allowed to let people go. Remember, there was that little sign when we, we drove up. It was like private drive. Um, oh, yeah. Private access. So it's, it's not a public road. Um, so we can't talk about the factory. We did see the Model 3, but the main thing we decided to do was <laughs> we had to go from Mountain View and Palo Alto over to Fremont, which I guess is like, what, 20 miles, something like that? Yeah, around there. It's, it's almost like eight miles of bridge and then uh, yeah. probably like a, a couple miles on either side. So yeah, probably under 20 miles. So we, uh, we had the opportunity to drive a 2017 Chevy Volt with a V, yes. <laughs> uh, over to the Tesla factory. So we wanted to talk about, this is the first time I've driven it. I think it's the first time you drove it as well. Right. Right. So we wanted to talk about our impressions because, uh, early on in the Tesla show, uh, history episode, episode 20, 20, yeah. We, uh, we did an episode called The Transitional Vehicle, dissecting the history of the Volt and uh, sort of the, the idea of the Volt. But at that point, we hadn't driven one. So it was sort of theoretical about the positioning of the product and, and its technical sort of specifications and the idea that uh, being a hybrid is sort of this mix between one leg in electric vehicle, one leg in internal combustion. And so now we've been able to drive it. So we wanted to give some firsthand impressions from, you know, having also driven the Bolt with a B <laughs> and also Teslas, both the Model S and the Model X, uh, both of us. So, um, yeah. So I guess first off, um, just a quick little bit of the specs. So the starting price for the Volt is $34,000 US. Um, it has 53 miles uh, rated battery range. So what's cool about the Volt is uh, for up to 53 miles, it can run just with the battery pack um, and the electric motors. And then if you run out of battery power, there is a onboard um, engine, which will operate in many different modes, I think upwards (laughs) of five different modes um, to either power uh, one of the motors as a generator and then uh, have the battery be powering the other motor for propulsion. It can power both, uh, both simultaneously. It can be the sole piece driving. Yeah. Like there's all these different modes. It's so, crazy. Yeah. I, I had thought that it was only acting as a generator, but you pointed out that that was actually what the I3 that does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the bolt is orders of magnitude more complicated. Like it is insane how complicated the power and drivetrain system for this vehicle is. Yeah, it has two electric motors in it now. So it has a 64 horsepower like electric motor and it also has a 116 horsepower motor. And so what's interesting about that is then the gasoline engine can run one of those motors as a generator to charge the battery and then use the power that's being generated by the battery to then power the other motor. So like this big loop. Or it can power that battery a little bit and power some of the axle to turn the wheels. Um, Or in the fully battery mode, both electric motors power the axles together. So it's pretty nuts. Like there's three clutches. Two planetary gears, like two differentials. Like it's crazy. Yeah, there is a lot of complexity, um, and even I like would the love cheap- to, I would love to see how the long-term reliability is of this vehicle too, because it seems insanely complicated. Yeah, I can't, um, I can't imagine that it is going to be more reliable than a 
simple electric vehicle or even just a simple internal combustion vehicle. So Although it'd be interesting to see if maybe it's failure mode is that it just devolves to only like the battery and electric motor working and it can just run as a simple EV, albeit with the limited range of having to pull around all the dead weight of all, of all that extra stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, it was kind of after researching it, it's amazing how much electronics and modes are happening to, to make that transition between the different modes happen. Yeah. But um, driving it, you didn't feel that level of complexity. Um, no, so, not at all. So let's talk about um, getting the, the Bolt. So you picked it up and drove over and picked me up. So you were driving it first. So what were some of your initial impressions like? about the car and getting in and turning it on, like and anything about that, you know, <laughs> well, for, I mean, for first me, few any, seconds. Yeah. The, any of the push button start vehicles feels really futuristic to me. Cause I, I drive a manual transmission vehicle that's like pre Bluetooth and pre everything. So, you know, the big, the most uh, recent innovation of my vehicle is that it has a aux in port on the radio and it has uh, traction control. Those are mm. the only two features it has. Um, so yeah, so everything seems kind of new and, and interesting to me. Um, my, my first impressions were as soon as I sat down was that the, it just looks, it has this sort of overly futuristic looking plasticky kind of feel to the whole thing where there's a lot of like chrome and fake chrome and all different kinds of plastic and angles. And there's just way too much going on, um, mm -hmm. aesthetically for me. Um, as I started driving, I mean, it, it wasn't very complicated to get going. That was good. Um, I was able to get moving quickly. Uh, I, I found that the, the UI graphics, uh, for the, uh, center console, well, not the center console, the, um, oh, you've told me this before. What's the binnacle. The, the binnacle, right? I still, I'm still not convinced that's a real word. The, uh, <laughs> the, the, the binnacle, um, and then the, the sort of center console, more so the binnacle, it, it just, I just think the graphics are tacky. Um, they're kind of like 3D and weird and glowing and overly futuristic looking. And I just think from a information architecture point of view, they're not doing a good job of only displaying what I need to know or like really surfacing the things that are important. Uh, and we'll come to this later as we are sort of running out of power and gas that uh, it doesn't do a good job of showing you this. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that overall it was fine. Um, you know, I was able to figure it out and get going without too much, uh, especially because there were some delays involved. So I was under in a rush and I was able to get going without too many problems. So that was that was good. Um, so these are kind of nitpicks um, as I was driving it. The visibility is weird um, it, it, for a small vehicle. It, it almost felt like I was in kind of a tank where you might have only little slits to look out of like the looking forward. There wasn't much to see. There was really thick pillars on the sides and the visibility at the sides wasn't all that great. Um, it has like the um, cars to the side of you indicators, but they're on the rearview mirrors, right? Uh, which was difficult for me to locate coming in cold on the vehicle. Um, maybe that's something you get used to and, and know that they're there at a certain point, but um, it was difficult for me to kind of notice those and, you know, dealing with rush hour traffic and trying to like cut through lanes and, and make up some time. It was, a uh, it was a little challenging to, to see, like, I thought the, the visibility was, was a bit of a challenge. Um, but like performance I thought was great. Um, well, which is to say like, not like, you know, Tesla great, but the performance of the Volt as a, as an EV, this was, it was in EV mode at this point. It's just much like when we drove the Bolt with a B, 
it's just a peppier experience. The, I think the peppy, yeah, peppy is the word I would probably use, right? Like it's, it's just, it picks up quicker from, a, from the, from a stop. Um, and then I think it's a little more agile, probably, be, you know, the batteries are low to the ground. So you're getting better handling on it and it just feels sportier as you're mm-hmm. driving it around, um, you know, relative to like a comparable vehicle, like a Corolla or a Civic or something like that, or, or a cruise or whatever, like a, a rental vehicle you might get would be. Um, I think just based on the performance characteristics of a battery and an electric motor, it just feels agile, I guess. Yeah, I think that, um, so when you, you swung by, obviously I, I recognize that it was a, a Volt. So I think it, it's from the exterior, it has a recognizable profile and look. Um, there's quite a lot of um, solid black uh, sort of trim um, and the, the hatchback shape is unique for this sort of sedan look it, it uh, it's kind of like people, a prius in that way yeah i was just about to say it's sort of like a prius but to your point the belt line where sort of where does the door uh stop the sheet metal the door stop and where does the window begin is quite high yeah um, and so when you're inside it has that profile of like a charger or challenger or you know some of these sort of retro redo vehicles um and that helps with the the crash safety obviously because there's more protection for you but it does reduce the visibility and one thing that you mentioned when we were driving that definitely caught me as well when we were when when i was in the driver's seat was a lot of the pillars and everything just felt quite chunky um so you end up feeling like both there's smaller amounts of glass uh to to look out of and then also the pillars a b and the c pillar are all quite thick and and i'm not quite sure why it's as thick as it is because there's other vehicles that are not like that that chevy makes uh, and gm makes so yeah you know what it felt like it it felt like one of those um i think they call it like a slammed vehicle like a hot rod where they've like deliberately cut off part of the uh pillars to like lower the roof down and it's kind of like a hot rod thing like it kind of felt like that except without any of the coolness of a hot rod yeah and and to your point the the front windshield we were trying to figure it out as we were driving but i think it's actually just not a very tall windshield and it's also at a pretty um shallow angle and so the distance from the dash to the height of the windshield is actually not that tall i think it was like three iphones or something because yeah it was like we didn't iphones we had the iphone 7 and we were trying to measure it up and i it was more than two but less than three yeah so i was in the passenger seat on the way to the factory and so i got to experience the passenger side uh world and got to play with the touchscreen so it has a relatively large center touchscreen uh, about eight inches the ui (laughs) of it is pretty similar to what the bolt was in that the icons look like they're from the late 90s um, it was especially jarring when you plugged in and uh, had CarPlay going and then like the flat pastelli iPhone 10 uh, icons came up. That was quite a contrast. Yeah. So this was the first time I'd ever used CarPlay. Um, so that was pretty cool. I just plugged in the, uh, the USB cable uh, into the front. So that was pretty easy in the lightning cable into the iPhone. It uh, recognized it very quickly and said, do you want to project onto the... Um, onto the device it asked for permission on my iphone if i wanted to share my contacts i said not to because it was a rental <laughs> so i didn't really want that information 
stuck in the in the car and was able to uh switch to my podcast player uh play some music with the music app uh open up google maps just to sort of look at that or actually it was uh, only apple maps um so it, it, you know it was what i sort of had expected um carplay would be like uh the touchscreen was was quite good uh, pretty sure it was capacitive um instead of resistive where you like old pen style where you actually have to push into the plastic <laughs> so that was good um but just wasn't a ton of stuff on my phone for carplay i think i had audible working as well so i think that would have been nice if i you know were using it all the time certainly nice to sort of avoid the gm uh interface um but nothing sort of earth shattering i think it's just like nice to have and and uh and seems good the you know fun thing just because of also i think it was fun with the prius was uh seeing what was being used of the engine versus the battery versus the wheels and regenerative braking popping up as a passenger, not controlling the throttle. It's kind of fun just to see that, but I, I'm sure that would, that would novelty would sort of wear off over time. <laughs> um, one thing sort of knit that was frustrating and I think it's enigmatic of sort of the overall design of the vehicle was we were driving uh, sort of in the afternoon and the sun was starting to set a little bit and there is chrome inside the vehicle such that there was light coming in the passenger side and reflecting off the chrome into your eyes. Yeah, all up in my eyes. It was awful. It was almost blinding you to the to the point where I was using my arm and hand to get in the way of the reflection of the light to block it so it wouldn't hit your eyes. Now, you weren't wearing sunglasses, but I don't think you should be required to wear sunglasses to <laughs> operate a car safely. And... It's like, why wasn't that caught? How did that not, why, why should there be chrome or any reflective surfaces? And I think even the screen was so reflective that it was both causing glare and causing reflections into, into your eye. Uh, yeah, so. I, I took a photo of the reflections too, where I was almost able to read, you know, on the, uh, the visor, the, the, the visors that you can pull down, um, the driver and the passenger have those. Yep. What are those? Do you know what those are? Are those just called visors? Uh, vanity mirror or the vanity visor i don't know yeah whatever those things are they always have now ever since in the past few decades or whatever they have this like warning on them um which is like this like yellow and white warning and i was almost able to read it like i was looking at the screen and it was like at such an angle that it was reflecting that into my eyes and i was almost able to like read the warning text on that thing it was it was really weird and i think also speaks to the fact that the screen was set completely flat on the on the center console so it wasn't actually angled towards the driver which was making it weird to look at like i was kind of looking at it at at a skewed angle and it was i don't know i didn't it, it felt like it was it didn't really know if it was more of a driver control or if it was meant to be like a common thing for everyone in the vehicle that uh yeah it it didn't feel like a i guess you know how like in a bmw everything's kind of like angled towards you yep uh, it's a little more of a driver uh, centered thing. This was kind of not that. And uh, it was especially noticeable with the reflective screen. And I think, I mean, that's gonna, that's a legitimate concern for a lot of folks on the Model 3 as well, is the touchscreen is going to be uh, similarly positioned in the center. And uh, the, you know, the prototypes and alphas that they showed off were neutral positioning, not angled towards the driver. Uh, the current Model S's and X have the the um, 17 inch portrait uh, touchscreen angled towards the driver, right? But the Model Three won't, and so I'm not sure what sort of coating they're going to have on it. Um, 
And so that could be problematic. And then the same issue. I think one thing that potentially is in the favor of the Model 3 is that because the screen is 15 inches across instead of eight, uh, that the actual physical proximity to the screen from your eye to it will be much uh, closer. But um, it's definitely a concern um, because if it felt like the Volt, it feels not like not for the driver uh, right it's like it takes a little more effort each time you look at it and this has like another eight inch screen right in front of you uh for the binnacle control so you don't really need to look at that screen very often to the right but in the model three you obviously will have to so um this one wasn't well executed and it's yet to be seen whether or not it can be executed to a really good level or if it'll just be satisfactory um so it's definitely something i'm curious about um yeah or i mean you could just reduce the need to rely on it too so it becomes less of an issue what that's a probably a bigger picture solution yeah for sure i think uh one of the one of the things too that was interesting uh driving it around was it definitely was nice and peppy at the stop um to you know 30 40 miles an hour um because you've got the electric uh motors which are quite torquey um, and so it did feel really good, um, in that zero to 40 time. Uh, but once we were at cruising speed and trying to pass at like 60 or 70 miles an hour, it definitely didn't have that same reserve of power that a, a Tesla does. <laughs> right. Um, and we were also able to drive a Tesla model S, uh, the same day and both of us did. And yeah, I mean, it, that just has sort of this linear power on, on, on a, abating power at any point that is unlike any other vehicle and so even (laughs) though this is a hybrid electric uh car it definitely does get um starved at that you know 50 plus kind of range so yeah great for for, city driving yeah right yeah that's the thing it's like for city driving for the stop and go and and up to like you know 30 or 40 or 50 miles an hour it's great yeah the official zero to 60 is 7.6 seconds um but the zero to 30 is better than that. Um, well, sorry, better comparatively. Um, right. And well, uh, you don't have like shifting too, which is also, um, feeds into it. It's, it's like a constant acceleration or yeah, it, it, it feels a little more, uh, I keep saying peppy, but <laughs> part of the peppiness is that you don't have that like shift lag where you like are, are decelerating slightly or no longer accelerating as you shift gears. Yeah, especially on on cars of this class, the automatic transmissions aren't known to be particularly excellent. Uh, and so <laughs> they don't have three clutches like the Volt. Yeah, they don't, and they don't even have the dual clutches like the new Volkswagens do, and and some of the other um, dual clutch cars, which are pretty great automatics. Um, one of the other things I, I've noticed when I was driving was there were a lot of driver assistance features that were trying to get my attention, but I had they were inscrutable. I really didn't know <laughs> what they were telling me what they were indicating. So for example, uh, on the dash, there was this uh, green car inside of two lanes, sort of signifying a car inside of, you know, driving on a, on a, on a road. Yeah. It kind of had like the dash lines on the side of it. Yeah. It would light up sporadically. And then there'd be another one that would light up to the left, but then (laughs) there wouldn't be one to the right. And so it took a while to figure it out. And we actually had to look in the manual to try and fit to actually discern what was happening and apparently the center one is not you it's when it recognizes a car oh no that no wait, the, the center, center one, one is you it's the lane keep 
Yeah, the lane keep assist and lane departure warning. So if it's green, it indicates that it knows you're in the lane. And if you were to drift over the lane, it will slowly nudge you back into your lane. And then and the one to your left is actually about the car to your front. And it <laughs> means that it's identified there is a car in front of you and will protect you in forward collision warning and eventually forward collision uh, assist on braking if you were to get too close to it. Yeah. So and can we talk about the spatial problem of indicating that there's a car in front of you by putting an icon to the left of your vehicle on the screen? That's mental. I can't I, I don't understand how that ships. I know it. I, I don't know. And then there's a button on the steering wheel to turn the whole thing on or off. Um, and when it's on, it has an amber light in the right. steering wheel button. So, and, and also to, to kind of contextualize this for people who are probably more familiar with the Tesla interface, where you're actually seeing what almost looks like a, a video game version of vehicles and lanes and, and seeing things uh, appear and looking, you know, pseudo realistic, like 3D. This was like more of a Nintendo NES like pixel art oh, yeah. uh, thing I, where even though it was on an LCD screen, it it was simulating just like lights on a dashboard, like an old school dashboard where this vehicle that was in between the dotted lines didn't actually move into those lines as you went into them. It would just like change colors, right? Yeah. It, and it would just sort of disappear. Like it, it wasn't even grayed out. It was just gone. So it took a while to figure out how it was working. And then we tried testing the lane keep. And like one time I tested it by sort of drifting and did nothing. And then another time I did it. And then I noticed that it did jerk me back in, but then it started pushing me to the other side. So I was basically going to ping pong in between <laughs> the lane. It's not like uh, Tesla's auto steer where it actually keeps you in the center of the lane. This just like turns the wheel a little bit. And then you're now in a vector to hit the other lane. Um, and also a car sort of cut in front of us at one point on the highway. And then this red flashing HUD thing turned on for a yeah, second. Yeah, that was weird. And I was like, I thought I made a mistake or something. And it was, you know, I, I think it was the forward collision warning, but I didn't, I, I, it wasn't anything I could do. So no, it seemed to just amplify the stress of that situation. Like it made that car cutting in front of us, like far more anxious than it should have been. Yeah. And what was I supposed to do? Am I, am I supposed to hit the brakes? Are they hitting the brakes? Like it, it just, it sort of just brings up that these rare events that these safety systems are attempting to prevent are extremely scary as you're experiencing them because it's a stressful situation. And you now have this new thing beeping and blinking at you that you probably haven't seen very often. And because it's not a hundred percent success rate, uh, it's very tricky to trust. And the similar issue with the blind spot detection. So there's, there was something on the, on the mirror where it would light up if it thought there was something in my blind spot and then it would blink as it was passing. So was there were sort of two modes to it and it wasn't fully clear when it was doing what. So, I mean, I think some of this stuff, maybe you kind of acclimate to how it behaves uh with more usage like after you've been driving it for a month or two months or whatever right but coming in cold it was really weird it was, it was very difficult to get any sort of sense as to what was going on yeah and on the center binnacle one of the things that was um sort of funny to your earlier point was they do have the same modes that the bolt had that we talked about in a previous oh, episode of modern <laughs> modern enhanced classic and classic enhanced i think were the options yeah, right the, yes that was them <laughs> so 
a priori, I'm not sure what modern is going to mean or what classic means in the context of a UI that was designed a couple of years ago. Like, yeah, what is the classic Volt interface? I mean, that, that makes no sense. And it doesn't turn it into like retro dials or anything. It still looks basically the same. It's just like an amount of stuff displayed. So, the, I mean, whatever, they have to give it, they're going to give it a name, but it, it just felt arbitrary and it felt arbitrary on the Bolt. But even on, on this one, it was also not Yeah, great. I would like to send all of the people who designed this, uh, the collection of uh, Tufty books for information design, because they are not presenting the information in a coherent and prioritized way. And right. it seems really dangerous, actually. Right, because one of the things we experienced was we didn't have much electrical charge when we picked it up, even though it technically was or should have been plugged in. So it got <laughs> some use uh, yeah, before I we think, used it. And I drained all of it, right? Like when you got it, it was just on gas. Or you right. had a, mi- a couple of miles, maybe. Yeah. Right. But so, so then it was really quiet when it was on just pure electric. So for sure, that was really nice. Like in the stop and go parts in the traffic with the lights just sort of on these roads on the way there that was great um it was a warmer day and and we had sort of been running around a little bit so we had the ac on pretty loudly so we weren't really fully appreciating the quietness of the vehicle um but once the motor the engine was kicking in it was sort of kicking in on and off and you know it's a tiny little like 1.4 liter engine 1.5 liter engine um so it kind of had a whine when it was really cruising on the highway, 1.5 <laughs> liter. Um, so that wasn't great. But then, yeah, the the dash was not accurate. It didn't feel like it was telling us how dire our situation was because we also only had 40 miles of gasoline range by the time we were getting close. And then this fuel gauge warning turned on really loud at the end. And the problem is that the gauge is this sort of blue segmented thing. And the difference between the, the grayed out, like the inactive part of this gauge and the active part of your filled part was so subtle that it was very difficult to tell which side was the positive or negative. Did you feel that as well? Right. Yeah. I, mean, I thought it was almost, it was almost inverse, like the, 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 what essentially are the ticks, right? The, what on a, what on a gauge would be the ticks on the background as your needles moving across it. And they, in the LCD, they have these graphics that are simulating these ticks as they go down from like full to empty. And they were super prominent and bright. And the, filling between them where which i guess would be like where the the needle would be uh they were just doing this like really light gradient in between those tick marks filling it in which it was so low prominence like the 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 tick marks were completely irrelevant at this point like we were nearly empty i don't need to see all these tick marks and and to have it be that the entire left where the electric power is was all like empty ticks but like really bright so it looked like something was going on and on the right side where the fuel was was there was like the last tick had a little bit of light blue filling in it and then all the other ticks were glowing really bright it was looking at it it looked like everything was fine but in reality we had like 20 30 miles left and like the inform like they should not have been showing all those tick marks like they should just be hiding that stuff or making them super low prominence and the only thing i should be seeing is the fact that i have an empty gauge on the left side and a one-tenth full gauge on the right side and when i looked at it it looked like i had two giant like 
combs full on either side. Right, because you've got two things now. You've got both the electrical charge, um, the battery charge level, and then the gasoline charge level. And so it was like, oh, cool, we're filling up the battery and all the stuff as we're sort of braking and the engine's turning on to sort of fill the battery a little bit. So you get into this sort of false sense. And obviously we were sort of in the extreme where we were getting close to the end of our total of 400 miles of what the range should be of the vehicle. So <laughs> certainly not saying this is what level of anxiety you'd be feeling every day if you're driving the Volt. Like, I think it would be very rare. But just to say, like, in this situation where we were riding in the vehicle at a point where most people probably don't get to see very often, it wasn't very uh, clear how dire the situation was. And, you know, in a regular car, it is very clear when your gas is low. Like, you see you're riding on empty, and then the light turns on, and, like, that's pretty clear. But in this UI where there's so much on this screen, uh, the relative prominence of the importance of having almost no potential uh, range was pretty uh, pretty scary. Yeah, and that's, I, that's basically what I, when I'm complaining about the sort of information architecture or like interface design, that, that's basically it, is that the problem is, I, I guess this is to, to get into Spider-Man territory, is like, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And when you have full, complete control over the interface, like what you do with it matters. And when you're actually like projecting some demos or something, it might look really cool to have this 3D simulated glowing interface with all these things shooting out or something. But actually when you're driving, that's not what you want. You want to just see what's important to you. You don't want all this like visual frills going on. And it takes discipline to do that. And it takes, you know, it takes some sort of authority to say like, you know, we're not going to do the thing that looks really cool when it's sitting there. We're going to do the thing that's really useful as people are driving it. And, you know, maybe they'll evolve to that. Um, but looking at it now, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, even when you look at the, like in the, in the binnacle, the LCD screen, when you're in drive, they actually have the letters like P R N D L and the D is bolded. And they're simulating this like old, like physical interface where you would have like all of these things marked on your transmission. And when you pulled the the shifter down, like, you know, it would it would go to one of those. And there's no need to to show the PRN and the L when you're in drive. Like they're they're doing this skeuomorphic simulation of what the physical reality is when all you really need to know is that you're in drive and having all of that other information there is competing for your attention and you're supposed to notice that the d is bolded and not like a lighter weight font uh and and that just seems like things that are you know maybe this is going back to it being a transitional vehicle but we saw the same thing with the bolt where there was some of this like uh design issues yeah, and I think the broader point and the reason we're spending so much time on this and people might be like, well, well how does it feel to drive? How's the turning radius? How much trunk space does it have? How much <laughs> leg room does it have? Like that is like the traditional uh, specifications for a car. And, and I think a lot of people will do that review and talk about that. So I think obviously that's important. So not to diminish the importance of the practicality of the vehicle and how it feels. I think that for for us and for me at least, like the interface of these cars is so important and has never been something that has needed to be designed um, in software until recently. And as we move to more and more advanced driver assistance features and future autonomy, as well as software controlled uh, functionality for the rest of the vehicle, 
that the software design and interface design and the choices they make are going to increasingly be the primary uh, mode of interaction with the vehicle. And so manufacturers that can do that well uh, will increasingly be important. And especially because it's sort of the final integration of all the features of the vehicle, I do think that's going to happen by the manufacturers or one of their top tier suppliers who works with them. And so when you look at someone like Tesla, whether or not you, you enjoy some of the visual choices they've made, uh, they've started from the premise that it's going to be all software and a big screen, and they're going to take that very seriously, where I'm not sure that GM has dedicated the same amount of resources to the software design and sort of usability and everything, because it's still not the majority of their uh, vehicles, and it's also not a competency that they've you know necessarily had in the past. So uh, if people sort of are like, why are these guys talking about this so much? That's sort of why... I think it's so critical and like would be a deciding factor for me in picking a vehicle is if you're going to go screens only, you better do that really well because we have a hundred years of physical gauges and physical buttons. So if you're going to mess with that, you better bring something better to the table. And if you don't like, why did you do that? Why did you decide to do screens instead? Because you've made it worse. Right. Well, and like thinking too about how Tesla pushes updates and companies like GM don't uh, it also speaks to the iteration as you're as you're learning and getting feedback on these new interface paradigms where the Tesla interface changes over time, right? Yeah. Like they they adapt as they learn stuff. And you know, occasionally they'll do they'll do like small incremental updates and then have like larger scale updates uh, at, at, at wider intervals. Uh, but as far as we can tell, like the the old school auto manufacturers ship a, an interface and the vehicle and that's it. Like it's, it's, it's done and they're on to the next one. Whereas Tesla is more of a kind of an ongoing process, more, more similar to the world we live in of, of like, you know, online websites and stuff that are, are constantly being iterated on. Right. And are driven by modern computers that can, you know, deal with that level of graphics and change and not be, you know, sort of, uh, baked into the system and you know someone else's firmware that they'd have to pay for and they don't necessarily want to pay for all the vehicles that already exist being updated you just want to sell it in the next vehicle um yeah it seems like some like the some of the stuff is just done because they they can or because that they're trying to simulate what was done before it it reminds me a little bit of i remember my grandfather had this uh i don't know it was like an old dodge or something and i thought the coolest thing was instead of having round a round speedometer gauge they had a horizontal speedometer gauge oh, yeah where yeah it, it, it went from left to right and the numbers were spaced out almost like logarithmically or something right there it was a different spacing so like you know the the difference between like zero and five miles per hour was like a millimeter and then between like 30 and 35 was like a full inch uh, and, and then as it was, as the, the, the needle was on like the, either the far left or the far right, it was like really like it would, it would bounce back and forth or something. And essentially your, the accuracy of the measurements at either extreme of the speedometer was really low. And it was only really accurate in the middle because essentially it was a round speedometer that they had somehow hacked into this like flat thing so they could create this long horizontal speedometer on the dashboard and at the expense of any sort of accuracy of, of what it was showing you. One other thing that uh, we noticed was in the backup camera, the resolution was so low and yeah, especially like compared. Yeah. Very, it's probably like the same camera system. And 
the even like the pixelation of the markings you noticed it a lot on the bolt and i didn't notice as much but this time i was backing up using it and it was not good um and then we got into the tesla and it was like hd video i mean it was it was well, awesome perhaps more importantly it was just consistent with the rest of the ui i think that's the really jarring thing it's like if if the rest of the UI was sort of a lo-fi, like more pixel art kind of thing, it wouldn't seem weird that the backup camera was also like pixelated. But it's like when you go from like a high res, especially like this weird sort of 3D rendered skeuomorphic UI to this weird pixel art blurry backup camera, it's it's that sort of transition that I think really makes it jarring. So... In the last episode we did, a few listeners chimed in, and one of, one of our listeners said, I think they got like a 195-mile effective MPG um, because they pretty much were not using any gasoline, um, and so they just had a really, really high amount of miles per gallon used. Um, mm-hmm. So I think for the use case it's trying to go for of commuting and really only using the, the gasoline for, for a backup... Um, it was a decent, good car. I mean, it was probably better than most rental cars I've had from a driving dynamics point of view. Um, it was relatively comfortable. I mean, the seats were manual, but whatever. There's still a lot of manual seats um, out there. Yeah, I think almost the, the stuff that you don't hear us complain about, you can assume is fine. Like headroom was fine. The seats were fine. Uh, the trunk was fine. Uh, yep. or, or I'm sorry, the lift the back. I guess yeah. we noticed that when I was trying to stash my bag with my laptop when we were going into the factory. We realized that there really wasn't and you, you were pulling the little like shade over it or something. Yeah, the privacy shield. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, all that stuff was fine. Um, I don't understand why you would get a volt with a V over the bolt with a B. Um, if I were choosing, I mean, they're like the same price almost. I would yep. definitely get the bolt with a B. Uh, maybe it, it speaks more towards uh, the range anxiety of, of thinking you might need the gasoline uh, portion. But I don't know. I thought the bolt with a B was a, was a much more compelling vehicle. Yeah, I liked the Bolt. I like the Bolt from a philosophical point of view. Like it is motors with a battery and I bet that car will last longer from a service point of view. (laughs) I think that for the percentage of time you really need to go a super long distance, I would prefer to not have the added complexity of that and just rent a vehicle if I needed to. Um, If I had to, like if if gun to my head, the only two car options I had were the Bolt or the Volt. I feel like I would probably still pick the Bolt because it was just sort of more fun and engaging. Like having driven both now, I would still want to go drive the Bolt more. Bolt like again, I think we should call them Bravo and Victor. Yeah, it's I would really rather go, confusing. I would rather go drive Bravo again. Uh, like I, I remember even after driving it, I was like, oh, I kind of wanted to go do it again. Um, yeah, it was fun. Th- it was it was a fun little like city vehicle. Yeah, where the Victor one, I was just like, nah, okay, I get it. It it just there was nothing that special about it, and there's a lot of added complexity, so um, it doesn't sell that well. Um, the Bolt, sorry, the Bravo vehicle is less than the Victor, but the Victor is about as many per month as Model S, and it's thirty five thousand dollars. So, yeah, I mean, know, maybe it, if you're in like more of a rural area where you 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 don't have as much access to charging, but uh, yeah, because what the the Victor goes, what was it like fifty to sixty miles? I think on the charge was that right? Yeah, they say fifty three. Yeah, yeah. So if you're if you're if you're going to go further than that, uh, whereas the 
Bravo will go 200 uh, on the charge because it's not pulling, it, it's not losing space. It has more battery. It's not losing the space for the uh, internal combustion engine, all of the various uh, transmissions and planetary gears and fuel storage and all the other stuff that the, the Victor has to deal with. Right. It's 60, it's 60 kilowatt hour battery um, versus like 18, which actually is a usable 14. So it's about more than four times more battery, which makes sense because 53 times four is just about 212 and the Bolt with a B Bravo has 238. Look at you breaking out the math. Um, I haven't finished my drink all the way yet, so I think that's the only reason that's possible. (laughs) You haven't hit your Balmer peak yet. Nope. All right. So So, what else? Any final thoughts on the Victor? Uh, would you get it? It doesn't sound like it. I would, I would not. I mean, I, I would get the Bravo, um, the Bolt. Uh, I, I liked that vehicle. I thought it was, uh, fun for what it was. And if I had to, uh, uh, get something until the model three arrived, I think the Bolt was pretty cool. Bravo. Um, the, the, the Volt Victor, uh, just seemed, it, it had too many compromises that didn't actually meet needs that I would have. Um, mostly because you know there's a lot of electric charging infrastructure already around where i am sure so so that's not really an issue um and then i i just feel bad when i'm using uh gasoline so that's more of a a, of sort of a mental carbon tax that i have um and you know i i just think they were i i think the 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 bolt bravo felt like a I guess going going to where uh, Tesla has this problem of of the Model S and the Model Three and this problem this messaging issue of like people mm-hmm. thinking the Model Three is the next version of the S. It definitely felt like the Bolt Bravo was the next version of the Volt Victor in that it felt a little more evolved and it felt like the next iteration. Uh, obviously, it was a slightly different form factor, but um, <clears throat> it just felt a little better. Um, it didn't have like the, the Volt Victor still had, uh, cheesy things like that, like blue bowling ball shifter thing that they had going on mm. and the steering wheel felt a little small. Uh, the screen was okay, but it had all this like excess bezel around it that looked like it was trying to make the screen look bigger than it was. And yeah. it just, it, it felt if, if you had shown me the two vehicles side by side, I would have assumed that one was the next version of the other. Um, so yeah, I guess that's to say that I'm, I'm on team Bravo. I guess one, yeah, I mean, I think the closing, the thing that sums it up from a, uh, design like mm, sensibility or a great encapsulation of the, of the vehicle was when you start the vehicle up, it makes a noise that oh. is nuts <laughs> we gotta post the video we took a video of this to get the sound we'll, we'll put it in with the episode if we can figure out how to do it it is like a airlock door sound effect from star trek what? opening opening a door when you turn on the vehicle and then when you turn off the vehicle it closes the airlock sound effect and what the heck why what who thought of this where is the sound effect from did they actually listen to it a hundred times in a row like you would when you're actually starting a vehicle or was it listened to once and thought hey that's cool i don't even know if you can turn it off but it just sort of shows um 
you don't you don't put that kind of sound effect in a gasoline car or a normal car and the reason why would you put that in an electric car unless you felt like the electricness of it was somehow space age i don't know it just it was, it was like buying a custom ringtone it was something that you did once and you regretted it and you never did it again and now you've got that sound every single time you start up the vehicle so <laughs> I, I mean i'm happy the it the victor volt exists um, I think it's great that there are thousands and thousands of people who are now driving a vehicle without gasoline. I know for many people, uh, many of our listeners, it, it is a transition vehicle in waiting for the Model 3 or a Tesla vehicle of some point, some kind in the future. So I think it's great that many people are choosing it and in some cases probably overlooking or being okay with some of the the, the flaws. Um, yeah, maybe it's com- more accurate. Large competitive set of other vehicles, but... Uh, for me i would rather just hold out um it might be more accurate to to compare it to like a prius or something right where you're that that's more of like kind of augmenting the gasoline engine and it's it's i guess it's better than a prius in that you for you know if you stay under say 50 or 60 miles per per chart between chargings then you're actually not using any gas whereas the prius is always using some gas except for the new prius prime which is the plug-in hybrid oh, version which has like Can we talk about miles. the naming of that too Optimus Prime. I'm sure it was inspired. <laughs> oh God! All right. So, where can people uh, tell us that we're wrong, Mike, about the the Victor, <laughs> or you know, just tell us your experiences with yeah, it? Yeah, because I think the the sort of like hot take that we have after you know driving it for an hour or two is going to be a lot different than than like living with a vehicle for you know, months at a time for better or worse. Like, you know, sometimes you might acclimate to things that are bad and you just get used to them. And sometimes things that seem bad right away are actually not bad when you actually have to do them all the time. So, you know, works both ways. Um, but if you have any thoughts about that, uh, you can reach us on twitter.com. Our screen name is at the Tesla show. Uh, we have our own website on the World Wide web at the Tesla show.com. And we do have a subreddit on uh, reddit.com at r slash the Tesla show. And uh, yeah, we would uh, love to hear from you. Uh, any any V Victor thoughts or any B Bravo thoughts uh, or, you know, any just random complaints or, or praise. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds good. I'm uh, excited um, <laughs> to to hear what people have to say. And um yeah, I, def- I, I would like to drive it again. I think we're going to probably try and drive uh, a, what's the next one we want to try? Leaf. The, the Leaf. Um, there's a Eagle. I have an e-golf as well we can do. Um, yeah, there's a couple others we're going to try. So um, yeah, if there's and, any and others. And a Spark EV. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know if that's worth it. If there's any others that folks really want us to try and get our take on to the degree you're interested, uh, let us know and we might reprioritize those. But um it's just sort of fun to experience the other products in uh, in advance of, of future Tesla vehicles and just useful, I think, for us all to just be aware of what's going on with the EV space in general and the hybrid space, because for regular people, they're picking a car, I think. I don't think there's that many people who are super obviously enthusiastic about just it being electric. Um, so it has to be some other benefit to them and also is competing with other cars and other vehicles. So I think it's important that we, we check into them and, and understand how Tesla's rank up to other manufacturers' attempts at electric and electrified cars. So that's why we're doing it, even though the show is called The Tesla Show. <laughs> it's The Tesla in Context. 
Exactly. Uh, with our technology lens. So that's why we spend so much time on the UIs. <laughs> these are the things that bug us and it, it drives the people around us a little bit crazy to, to have to hear about these complaints. So it's well, better and, that we vent them on you. Yeah. And not that many regular car reviews spend the proportionate amount of time I would like them to on this part, because if you, if I had to buy the car sight unseen, only reading reviews, I do not think I would have gotten the same impression. And right. Like what is a 7.10 to 60 between a 0, 6.90 to 60? What does that matter? That doesn't mean anything to me, but like having to have a three-step process to engage, you know, lane assist, that matters to me, right? Or not knowing that I'm almost running out of power because the UI sucks, that matters to me. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Oh, I almost got on a soapbox right there. Sorry about yeah. that. No, I, I pulled you back down. It's okay. All right. Uh, talk to you later, Mike. All right. Till next time. Till next time. Bye.